All right. Hey, everybody. It's great to see all of you, and thank you so much for being here today. And I want to welcome everybody that's watching online via our YouTube page or Facebook or listening to us via podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. I've been out the last week and a half. I was at the Presence Conference and then went to West Virginia, where I spoke at a Days of His Presence Conference with Pastor David Chisholm in Parkersburg, West Virginia, and had a wonderful time. I got to speak several times there, and that's become a real uh, sister church for us and church family that we've become very close to. And so I feel like I've been gone for a really, really long time, but I'm so glad to be back with each of you. Before we start into the message this morning, I'd like us as a church to pray for uh, one of our elders, a spiritual father that has been battling a sickness for quite some time. Uh, Doug and Mary Fecht have been leaders and spiritual parents with me now for almost 13 years. And Doug and Mary give so much of their time and energy and support. They oversee our intercession ministry. They are also elders and overseers here at the church and board members. And Doug has been battling a sickness now for quite some time. I want to say thanks to all of you that have been giving financially to help support them. Doug owns a business that he's not been able to be actively involved with because of the sickness. And uh, Nathan Harden, our worship leader, who's his son-in-law, started a GoFundMe page that's now at over $30,000. And so thank you all so much for giving. Doug and Mary were here last service. Um, they're not here now, but we did pray for them. But I want this service to also pray for them. We love them, we care about them, and I want us to come into agreement for Doug's healing. The doctors do not know what's happening, and they've come to the spot where they just are, you know, uncertain what is going on with him. And so what we want to pray is uh, quick and rapid healing and a right diagnosis, and that he would recover rapidly and be strong and healthy to do all that they're called to do. When a sickness has been going on for quite some time, it's easy to get discouraged, it's easy to lose heart, and uh, we want to make sure that that doesn't happen for them, all right? So let's pray for them right now. Lord, we just lift up Doug and Mary Feck to you. I want to thank you, God, for healing Doug's life, healing his body. I want to thank you that you are the healer. We come into agreement right now for a rapid, immediate recovery and an incredible testimony and story coming out of it. We think that Doug will live and not die, and we come into agreement that not only will he live, he'll live the full life he's destined to live. Thank you, God, for watching out for Doug. Thank you for giving strength for Mary as she stands by his side and his family and for all of us. Thank you that they're not alone, and thank you that the finances are coming in to sustain and bless them mightily and that there won't be anything robbed, lost, or stolen from their lives during this time. Thank you for driving back the adversary. Thank you for giving them confidence to pray and believe and stand firm in the midst of adversity. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so I'm going to segue with that into something that I feel like so many of us are struggling with and so many of us continue to battle, and that is overcoming difficult situations and overcoming odds and hardships or adverse situations that come against your life. All of us will go through difficult times at one point or another in our life. Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble, but to take heart because he's overcome the world. So trouble can happen. But the thing that's most important for us to know and understand is that when Jesus lives inside of our lives, we can take heart instead of lose heart. And it's easy to lose heart sometimes, especially when the battle's long, especially when circumstances are sometimes out of your control and you didn't do anything to deserve what's happening, whether it's persecution, somebody lying about you, somebody saying 
uh, bad things, hurting you, stealing from you, whatever it is. And sadly, hardships and adversity can happen outside of your doing. For my wife and I, it's been hurricanes, and we've lost a child, and we've gone through all kinds of difficult situations. For me, I've been through so much hardship that after the fourth, fifth, sixth, tenth, or fifteenth time, I finally come to the place where I realize Jesus really is Lord, and he didn't leave me to die in the last one or the last ten, and he's not going to leave me to die in the next one. And not only am I not going to die, I'm not going to barely make it through. I'm going to come out stronger and better than before. Now, I've learned that through going through a lot of hardship, and I've learned to be resilient. And what I want you to do, all of you here today and everybody listening or watching online, is to be resilient in the midst of opposition. The Bible has a lot to say about coming under opposition. The Bible has a lot to say about overcoming difficult situations and overcoming overwhelming odds. And some of you right now may feel like you're facing overwhelming odds. And and some of them aren't of your own doing, but some of them are of your own doing. Poor choices, poor decisions. We've done things that are contrary to God's best and God's will. We've fallen into sin or we backslidden or we continue to open up the door to an adversary who hates you and wants to kill you. But I believe at some point you will finally get it, wake up and shut the door and then start to take the steps that you need to take to keep it shut. Hardship can happen. Difficulties can happen. And I don't want difficulties to happen in your life, but what I know, having been through so much adversity, is chances are likely that something difficult or adverse or troubling can happen to your life. And what I want to do is I want to give you proactive answers of how to stand firm if you're going through them now or if they come in your future. And so Jesus taught this incredible parable, and it comes from Luke chapter 18, verse 1. I'm going to teach you something when it comes to prayer And when it comes to sustaining prayer in your life, no matter what you're going through or no matter what you face. And in Luke 18, 1, Jesus started out by saying this incredible thing. It says that Jesus spoke a parable to them that men always ought to pray and not lose heart. Now, we're going to camp on this scripture for just a moment. To always pray means that I'm always in constant communion with the Lord before a situation during a situation, or after a situation. Always means everywhere, anywhere, all the time. That's what always means. Always means always. And if I can get you as a a church family, as a congregation, and everybody listening that continues to listen or tune in to us to stay in constant communion and always pray, you won't lose heart. Now, People that walk into this church are going to walk in broken, addicted, hurting, struggling in their marriage because this is a house of healing, just as every church should be. Jesus said, does a, does a healthy man need a doctor? No. People that are sick and hurting and broken need healing and life. And that means that addicts and people that have made a lot of poor choices or people that realize they need Jesus in their life are going to walk inside this house to find comfort and healing. But now for all of you that are listening that are here today, what I want is for you to get healthy because God first does it in you so that he can do it through you. He heals you so that you can bring healing to other people's lives. 
And right now, Rock City Church is in a season of being strengthened, becoming unified, and preparing ourselves for what's to come. But they're going to come in broken and hurting. Now, what I want for you is to get out of being constantly broken and hurting. I want to see you get healthy. Now, there are a lot of reasons why we can have difficult situations or lose heart. There are a lot of reasons. But we're going to start out first with God wants you to always pray so that you don't lose heart. The next thing is this word pray. If you study out this particular word pray, it means several things. Yes, it means to petition God. It means to ask or to cry out to him, asking him for something. But the best definition of this word pray means to stand in agreement with him. As you mature in your Christian walk, we stop petitioning him as if we're on the outside and we start coming to agreement with him as being on the inside. And what it means is now I know what he wants to do and say, and now I'm in supplication. Now, that's a big word that we don't use in our everyday life except in church. But I want to teach you what supplication means. Supplication means that I'm coming into agreement and declaring and decreeing and petitioning according to what God's heartbeat is. It means now I believe confidently and know what he wants to do, and I'm not haphazardly just lobbing up prayers like a shotgun. Instead, I'm being extremely purposeful in how I pray and how I stay in communion. Another great word for this word pray is worship. Let me just tell you, as I've grown in the Lord over an extended period of time, about 27 years now, most of my prayer time is worship. Because the Bible says God inhabits or enthrones himself on the praises of his people. Now, let me tell you what that doesn't mean. It doesn't mean if I worship hard enough, pray long enough, God will finally come down and I will have pleased him. That's not what that means. What it means is God is God. He's the Lord. I know it. And so I am praising him because of who he is. And now, because of who he is, sitting on a throne, judging righteously, he, becomes on the, he comes into the throne of my heart. This is some mystical, this isn't Disneyland, the magic kingdom. This is understanding Jesus is the Lord, and because of who he is, I'm going to worship and praise him, and now he will become enthroned on my heart. Now my heart becomes just. Now I'm living in justice, and now I know who he is, and I pray and live my life from that position. It's confidence. And so to pray always means that I worship. It means that I stay in agreement. And it means that I petition him according to his will and pray on earth as it is in heaven. Everybody understand that? And we're going to talk a lot more about prayer in the coming weeks. We're starting a whole series on prayer and intercession right now. But today, what I, want to, what I want to talk to you about is a sustained prayer life where you never give up. Because you know what happens the minute that you get out of constant communion with the Lord? Look at the scripture. You lose heart. You lose heart. And today, if you've lost heart, or you're feeling discouraged, or like you want to quit, or like you want to give up, you're in the right place. So let's keep reading verse 2. Saying, There was in a certain city a judge who did not fear God nor regard man. Now there was a widow in that city, and she came to him saying, Get justice for me from my adversary. And he would not for a while. 
But afterward he said within himself, though I don't fear God nor regard men, yet because this widow troubles me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. Then the Lord said, hear what the unjust judge said, and shall not God avenge his own elect who cry out day and night to him, though he bears long with them, I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith on earth? That's the million-dollar question, and we're going to answer that today. So, the parable is about not losing heart and praying continuously. It means that I'm not living a reactive life, I'm living a proactive life. I don't want any more trouble to come into my life. I feel like I've been through enough in a lifetime. Don't you? Yes. But now what we do is, no matter what is coming, I've got my eyes on who's coming, and now what's happening is I'm living proactively by staying in constant communion. Let's everybody say this together, please. Say, constant communion. That's what prayer is. Prayer is constant communion. It's conversations with God. Because if you're not in communion with God, guess who you're talking to? Yourself. And that's a pretty scary thing, having conversations with our own selves. I'm telling you right now, because I get moved by how I feel, I get moved by my circumstances, I get moved by lies, I get moved by what I see instead of walking by faith. See, the enemy of your faith is your sight. It's not fear, it's sight. Now, fear is a part of it, but guess where fear comes from? What you see, which then affects what you believe. Because in the natural, things don't look the way that things do in the supernatural. The way things look in the spirit, according to God's vision, is different than they look according to your vision. You understand that? So the reason why God wants us in constant communion is so that we could see what he sees. So that we could hear what he hears. I'm sorry if you lost your job yesterday. I'm sorry if you got a terrible diagnosis. I'll pray with you, cry with you, comfort you. That's what we need to do. But at some point, we stop getting moved by the cares and the affairs of this life, and we start getting moved by what Jesus says and thinks and feels and sees about a situation. That's why if you're not in constant communion, you're going to lose heart. All right? You guys all right? Okay. So prayer is constant communion. It's to supplicate. It's to stay in agreement, and it's also to worship. Let me give you some definitions of what it means to lose heart, and I want you to ask yourself if you are in any of these situations, maybe you felt that way before, or if you ever come into this, I'm going to give you answers of how to handle it. So to lose heart, here's the definitions of losing heart. Number one, it means I'm wore out. You have just straight, plumb, wore me out, or a situation has wore me out. And some of you may be feeling like you're wore out right now. It means to be exhausted. It means spiritless instead of spirited. It means to grow faint. I feel like I can't make it anymore. I'm completely exhausted and wore out. It means to be weary. The word weary is used a lot in the New Testament. And the word weary literally means to be tired from excessive exertion or lack of sleep. It means that you don't have any more energy. 
You're feeling as if you can't endure and your hopeful expectation for breakthrough or a belief that things will change has waned and now you've come to the spot where you've lost faith that anything's gonna change. That's weary. And when you're weary, what you do is you come to the place where you just think to yourself, it's never gonna change. And then in turn, you lose faith because everything about this parable is, will he find faith on earth? Don't give up. Con- Continuously commune with him night and day. Everything about it has to do with remaining firm and not losing your faith. And so to grow weary, I wrote it this way. To grow weary means that I've been in such a long and difficult battle that seems like it's never going to end. And now I'm actually beginning to wonder if it will or believe that it won't. Now, this is relative to everybody in this sanctuary today or listening to me preach. From wayward prodigal sons and daughters to drug somebody that you know that's a drug addict that's robbed and stole and lied for years and years and years and years. To addictions, to all kinds of battles and fears and worries and doubts and difficulties. All of us, at one time or another, have felt weary or feel like we've grown weary or feel like sometimes things aren't going to change. But God in his faithfulness and his mercy, if you don't give up, shows you repeatedly that he loves you and he cares about you and he won't give up on you because he doesn't actually grow weary with you. Ah, yeah. Woo! I didn't even say that last service. See, God's not growing weary with you, though you may feel like he's growing weary with you, but he hasn't lost faith in you. If he lost faith in you, then he would actually leave you or he would forsake you like we can do in marriages. But God doesn't grow weary with you. The scripture says, I will never, means never, ever, ever leave you. He's never left me. I've deserved him leaving me though. And he never forsook me. And he won't leave you or forsake you, but he doesn't want you to grow weary. So he gives you an answer. The answer is constant communion. The answer is staying in position. To grow weary means you feel like you want to give up. Does anybody feel like they want to give up in their life? I deal with people that think about suicide all the time, that their life's not worth it. And what's my purpose of living? Why even exist? I'm just going to take my life. Suicide is rampant more than ever in our nation right now. The lies of the enemy and the adversary that tell you you're not valuable and God doesn't care about you and no one would even miss you are all lies. They're all lies. How about being constantly overwhelmed? Does anybody feel constantly overwhelmed? If you do, God's got an answer. Fearful. I'm afraid. Usually the root of every situation that gets us out of position is fear. That's why God says, I've not given you a spirit of fear. He gave you everything the opposite of fear. He gave you power. He gave you love. He gave you a spirit of power, love, and a sound mind. We get doubtful. How about anxiety, depression, or anger? Let me explain something to you. Every time you get into anxiety, depression, 
angry, sinful anger, every time you fall into doubt or fear, you have been robbed from your position of constant communion. And some of us are getting robbed. And what I want you to do is just realize I got robbed. You had a spiritual robbery in your life. Let me give you a good example of spiritual robbery. You wake up in the middle of the night and your mind starts racing about all of your problems. All your struggles are all your situations. And for about an hour, you toss and turn, or maybe two hours or three hours, you toss and turn. You just got robbed not only of your sleep, but of your position of worship and prayer with the Lord. And now you fretted and worried about something that most of the time is out of your control and doesn't actually resolve anything. And now I just got robbed and it affected me all the rest of the day. Because I don't know about you, but if I don't get a consistent six to seven hours of sleep, I'm a mess. I'm tired. I want a nap. It's, you you got to have consistent sleep in your life or rest. A better way to say it is that God wants you to live in a position of rest. Let me give you a story. In Exodus 33, God makes this decision, I'm going to wipe you out. Well, not you, but his people. He's angry. And he's like, look, I'm going to wipe out my nation. And, and because I'm so upset with them, Moses, you take them on into the promised land, but I'm not going to go with you. Now, some of you might be thinking, how could God be that angry? Well, let me explain it to you. God had just rescued his people out of 400 years of bondage in Egypt. They had been slaves and beat down to the ground and treated like the scum of the earth for 400 years. No nation, not a people, in full-time slavery for generations and generations, 10 generations. So God comes and supernaturally rescues them. He delivers them out by miracles through the Red Sea with a pillar of cloud uh, by day and a fire by night. His presence goes with them. And when they come out of Egypt, they come out loaded with gold and wealth. They didn't come out with poverty spirit. They came out wealthy. Now, if you could see when God rescues you and you get born again, how God doesn't just bring you out into a poverty spirit, but he gives you the wealth and the riches that you need spiritually to be successful, it'll change your life. And so Israel gets brought out of Egypt, and what happens? As soon as the trials and the testing comes, they start complaining. Then eventually they get to Mount Sinai, and God beckons Moses up on the mountain for 40 days. Now, the Israelites don't know that it's going to be 40 days. It'd be like me saying, hey, everybody, I'm going to go on a spiritual retreat. I won't be here next week for sure. Now, six weeks go by, and you don't hear a word from me. Now, I know none of you would think that I'm not coming back, but chances are likely some of you might. And that's what the Israelites thought, is that Moses wasn't coming back. And now they're sitting there at the foot of the mountain by themselves without Moses. And Moses is up on the mountain of God. So the Israelites decide to do two things. Number one, they decide that they're going to have a party. And this isn't just a normal party. This is an Egyptian party. This is orgies and sex and partying and drinking and revelry. It is full-scale debauchery. It's full-scale party mode. And then the second thing that they say is, we need a new God, or they say, the God that led us out of Israel, let's make an image of what he looks like, and they literally make a golden calf 
And they say, this is the God that delivered us out of Egypt. Could you imagine me making a golden calf and saying, this is Jesus, everybody. This is Jesus. This is your God. That really angered the Lord. Really angered him. But it was also a test for Moses. I believe God also beckoned Moses in to see what Moses would do. And you know what Moses says in Exodus 33? He says, listen, I know that they're stiff-necked. But what good would it be to wipe out the people that you've chosen that you've loved? The ones you rescued out of Egypt. And what are the nations going to say about us and about you specifically in rescuing them only for them to, to be wiped out in the wilderness by you? And Moses says, what I really want is I want to know you and I don't want to go without your presence because it would be pointless. I want to know your way and I want to know who you are. And it moves God's heart so much that God says this powerful thing. He says, you know what? My presence is going to go with you and I will give you rest. This is Exodus 33. Do you know why they would have rest? Not because they'd get eight to 10 hours of sleep every night. You know why they'd have rest? Because God's original intent was that there'd be no enemies to fight them. He actually had made a promise that he'd wipe out all the Ittite nations. That was God's original intent, that they would get into the promised land and have rest from all their enemies. But you should know the story. The Israelites continue to complain all the way to the promised land. And as they get up to the river Jordan, finally, after the spies went and came back and uh, uh, 10 of them complained that they can't take the promised land. And then all of the nation of Israel picked it up except for those 20 and under. What happened? God wiped them out, led only the 20 and unders into the promised land except for Caleb and Joshua. And what happens? God leaves some of the enemy nations to teach. I've taught you this. He leaves some of the enemy nations to teach the younger generation who he is because they didn't know the miracles and the signs and wonders of what God had done. Here's my point. The devil wins when you get out of a position of rest. The devil wins when you're fighting from your own strength or feeling like you have to have more faith or believe more. Here's the scripture. Be still and know that I'm God. Not be still and have more faith. Not be still and believe more. It's actually be still and be rested in the knowledge of his lordship and his headship that he will fight for you because he's Lord and he loves you and he cares about you. Stay hooked to the vine. Stay hooked to the vine. All right? That's what that means. And so some of us are anxious and depressed and we're worried and we're fearful and we're doubtful and we've lost heart. And anytime you get into that is when you get robbed out of your position of constant communion. Come on, guys, this is a great word. It's not so hard that you can't attain it. God wants to stay hooked up to you. John 15, Jesus said, I'm the vine, you're the branches. Apart from me, you can't do anything. You can't bear fruit. You can't produce anything in your life if you don't stay hooked up to me, the vine, Jesus said. God wants us hooked up all the time, full time. He wants us in constant communion. And so all of these feelings can be extremely real and they can happen to the best of us. But what's really happening is that we are constantly allowing ourselves to be robbed by an adversary and a thief. So let me explain this parable to you. First of all, we're dealing with a widow. In the Bible, when you see widows or widows being referenced, it typically connotates a few things. It doesn't mean it's every situation, 
But more often than not, widow tends to mean no finances or financially destitute, no family, no one bringing justice or fighting for them. They've lost their husband or they've lost their spouse. Now they don't have family. We don't always know that in every situation that they don't have children or they don't have relatives. But more often than not, God is commanding us to defend the widow, to defend or support or financially give to or help or enable, become the family for the one that's lost their family. So we have a situation where we have a widow that has an adversary. And this adversary is constantly coming against her night and day. He's continuously persecuting her. Now, we don't know why, but we do get a little bit of an answer in what an adversary means. Let me tell you what an adversary means. It means the one that you are fighting as in a contest, the one that opposes you or is constantly trying to stop you or keep you back from being successful. And what I want you all to know here today is that there is a full-time adversary who hates you. His name is Satan. He's the devil. And he hates your guts, and he works on overtime to steal, kill, and destroy from you. He's a full-time adversary. But do you know that the adversary also makes other people your adversary? Lawsuits, people that persecute you, lie about you, steal from you, unjust situations that happen in your life, even enemies on earth are manipulated and controlled like a puppeteer with a puppet by the enemy, the devil. You know that. I'm telling you this is a reality. And so sometimes out of your situation and out of your circumstance, somebody comes against you, a lawsuit or persecutes you or lies about you. It's an adverse situation in your life. It happens and it can happen. But how we respond and what we do in the midst of adverse situations is critical. So in the, in the case of the widow, she's dealing with an unjust judge. If you've ever thought to yourself that our, our justice system is corrupt, here's your story. Because God says, it doesn't matter if the justice system is corrupt, you're part of the kingdom. And he uses this incredible scenario. Unjust judge. Let me tell you about this judge. Number one, he had already turned her away, but she continuously came to plead her case. Now, we don't know how many times. All we know is continuously. Now, what if the widow would have started complaining? What if the widow would have given up or lost heart or said, you know what, forget it. I'm not going to get justice. If she would have done that, she would have lost and been stolen from and robbed. Who knows what would have happened? But instead, she stayed persistent, didn't she? She stayed in continuous, constant petition. She was persistent even though her situation was harmful and unfavorable. She continued to bombard the judge for justice. Now, this judge isn't a, judge, isn't a just judge. He doesn't fear God, and he has no regard for people. The Bible says he doesn't regard man, right? Unjust judge who doesn't care about you, and an adversary that hates you. That's your situation. And I'm a widow. It's a pretty bleak situation. So God uses this situation to compare how much greater and more powerful his headship and his lordship is over whatever situation you may be facing. Because God's not an unjust judge. 
He's not saying, look at this unjust judge, I'm like him. No, what he's saying is, I'm so much better and greater, how much more, just like this persistent widow, will I not speedily avenge my sons and daughters who cry out to me, how often? Your answer is day and night. How often? No matter what we're facing, we cry out to the Lord, how often? Day and night. And God says, I will avenge you speedily. I will come to bring justice. This is what avenge means. I'll bring justice. I'll vindicate you. I'll clear your name from any blame or suspicion. And I'll show and prove you to be right, reasonable, or justified. It means that I will protect you and defend you. Do you know when you get born again, which first of all, nobody gets the full protection and benefits of God's blessing and hand upon your life until you're born again. God loves everybody, but God's hand of covering and protection and bringing, in a sense, being an avenger against an adversary is for his sons and daughters. So you've got to be born again. That's first and foremost. I can't emphasize enough, every one of us here today or listening to my voice must surrender their lives and get into the process of the provider, the protector, and the defender. Here's why. The word saved means, the word sozo in the Greek means to be rescued, delivered, protected, defended, and made whole. If you want to get rescued, protected, defended against an adversary, you got to surrender your life and be born again. Give it to Jesus Christ. Amen? I can't say it any more straighter than that. And so God is an avenger against the enemy. You know what else it means to have God as your avenger? It means he punishes the one that actually brought injustice against your life. It means that every injustice that was done against you, he will punish the adversary for what he did to you. That's real justice. That's real justice. No wrong will go unseen against your life. No injustice will go unpunished against your life. And so I don't have to fight against man because God's my defender. In fact, the Bible says, God said, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. Which means that when I, do, when I make the decision to fight right and not take it into my own hands and leave it in the lordship and the headship of Christ, he will fight and protect and defend me no matter what I'm facing. Isn't that awesome? Yeah! Woo! It gets me fired up. I don't know, maybe none of y'all are going through a difficult situation. Maybe all y'all just really got it together today. I don't know. But you know what I know? I have had a lifetime of adversity. And I have an adversary that hates my guts. And every day I stand firm in rest and confidence, not by crazy spiritual warfare of three hours of praying in tongues and cutting myself to make something happen. Instead, what I do is I stay hooked to the vine and in rest, and now I know how to pray, I know what to say, I know what to think, and I get understanding about what's really happening, and I'm never losing heart. Now, there are times I feel like I'm losing heart. There's times I'm laying in bed and my nerves are rattling and I don't know what's going to happen and I'm uncertain, but I'm clinging to him in the midst of it. It happens. But today I'm going to give you the best answer of how to stand firm at all times in any situation. You have to first realize that God wants you to be constantly persistent, 
not in a religious works, but through rest and relationship. Next, you need to realize there's an avenger. God will avenge the enemy against your life. Realize there's an adversary. And sometimes that adversary looks like another person, a friend or a family member, somebody you loved and trusted and thought that they would never hurt you and they stabbed you in the back. Any of you ever been there or is it just me? Let me tell you what an adversary is. An adversary is an opponent that does all they can to keep you from being successful or fulfilling and accomplishing God's purpose and plan for your life. He doesn't want you to fulfill your mission, and he doesn't want you to fulfill your destiny. And you all, all of us, all y'all, have an adversary that is on full-time work duty to destroy you. The scripture comes from Revelations 12.10. In Revelations 12.10, it says, now has come salvation and power and strength. Look at the scripture. Salvation and strength has come in the kingdom of, the, of our God and the power of his Christ have come. Why? Why do you get the salvation and the power of his strength and his might in your life? Why? Because there's an accuser. Next verse. For the accuser has been cast down who accused the saints how often? Our brethren, how often? Your answer is day and night. How often does the adversary accuse you? How often are we to pray? How often do we cry out? How often does the adversary come against you? You guys are going to get this at some point. This isn't just a preaching or a teaching today. This is life, spiritual life skills. When you walk out these doors, the devil has no place in your life, even though he tries to accuse you. How often? So God says, don't lose heart. Just cry out to me. How often? Come on, guys, this sustained prayer life. It's sustained. You know what sustained means? It means it never ends. It's all the time, full time. It's always in constant communion. So now I'm not just compartmentalizing my time with God with an hour under the bridge here or 30 minutes in my prayer closet there or on a Sunday or on a Wednesday like some of us, and I love you, but the point is, is I'm living in constant communion. And it's not weird religious. I'm not talking strange Christianese all the time where I'm so heavenly good that I'm no earthly good. Anybody know somebody like that? Don't be that person. I have a key in my heart, and that key's full-time, all the time, connected. That's the key of David. The key of David is, is now I'm always connected to the vine. Now I'm not walking by faith. I'm walking by sight. Do you see what I see? Do I see what you see? Do we see what he sees? And now I stop getting moved by situations that could cause me to lose heart. Now, there are a lot of situations in life that can cause you to lose heart, aren't there? Right? Let me give you just a few of them that I wrote down. Some of them include things like overwhelming odds in the natural, your health. Maybe you've been battling a sickness for a long time. I have battled asthma since I was nine. Right now... If I take a deep breath and exhale, I wheeze for a long time. But I, have, I don't have a thought that I'll live with this the rest of my life, though I've lived with it for nearly 40 years. 40 years. But I know what the Word says, and I know what I stand on, and I'm not going to be moved by the manifestation of what my body says, because even if my outward man perishes, my inner man is renewed day by day. 
Because now when my inward man is renewed, it speaks to my outward man. And it speaks to the situation. Because now I see what he sees and I know what he's done because I can see the cross and the blood and I can see the remission of sins that have come from what he did on the cross. So sustained health issues can cause you to lose heart, right? So what do you do? Constant communion. What do you say about the matter, Lord? What do you say? Now I, know, I can hear doctors doctor may say something else, right? And sometimes the doctors have said something and I have said what I believe God said and somebody didn't make it, but God just healed them a different way. Now they're with Jesus. We'll understand it when you get to the other side, but I'm not gonna sit here and say, well, maybe not. Instead, I'm gonna stand with you and you stand with me. Let's stand with each other no matter what comes with confident, bold expectation. I don't need doubters and I don't need naysayers and I don't need people in the room that are crying and freaking out that think I'm gonna die. Come on, guys, this isn't la-la land faith. Life can be hard, right? Other things that can cause us to lose heart are bad decisions. In a minute, I'm going to show you a scripture from Galatians chapter 6, verse 9, that says, don't grow weary in well-doing. Right before that in verse 8, it says, if you sow to the flesh, you reap from the flesh, but if you sow to the spirit, you reap everlasting life now. Zoe, now, for eternity. I'm gonna show it to you in a minute. I'm gonna tie it in right now. So we sow to the flesh, and now I reap the harvest of corruption, and now I'm losing heart because I blew it. Like the Egyptians, I was partying at the clubs last night. Could you imagine? I came out of wild Grateful Dead concerts where everybody was tripping on acid and mushrooms and smoking doobies and dancing crazy dances for hours at a time. Could you imagine if I said to myself, man, just one more time. One quick toke, one quick shroom, one quick tab, one quick blunt, and let's have one more Egyptian party while I'm standing at Mount Sinai. <laughs> I got news for you. I already did it. It was a long time ago. And I smoked pot and messed up and screwed up for a long time after get born, getting born again. But God in his love and mercy came and rescued me because I was tired of reaping destruction. At some point you get tired, don't you? At some point you say, I've had enough. At some point you realize the party's not worth it. At some point, you've beat yourself, blown it up, screwed it up, messed it up. Your body's suffering, suffering for it, and you've got no peace, and the adversary's kicking your hiney. And at some point, you start crying out. Notice the scripture says, how much more will God not avenge his elect? His elect are his sons and daughters, by the way, just so that you know, who cry out day and night. You know what it means to cry out? I'll teach you something awesome. The word cry out means hallow. Halloo, H-A-L-L-O, or to halloo. Yes, it's related to a greeting of hello, but the original word is, is to call out to dogs on the hunt or call out to the animals to come in. It's like when I grew up on the farm and I'd call my, the horse, my dad's horses from 30 acres away and i go, yay, yay, woo, woo. I'm, hallo I'm hallooing, I'm calling out. Hey, 
and they'd hear my voice from the other side of the pasture, and they'd come running full speed ahead to get their grain. It means that I cried out to the Lord in a surprise fashion of continuously depending and calling out to him night and day. It means I open my mouth. I get to say, God, I trust you no matter what I'm facing. I'm not going to be moved by my situations and circumstances. Lord, I'm calling out to you, Lord. I cry out to you night and day. And sometimes it's coming out of my heart with a desperation. How often do we cry out? How often does the adversary accuse you? How often? If you don't get Hebrews 4.16 ingrained into your mind, you will not be able to do this. Hebrews 4.16. Therefore, because we had a high priest who passed through the heavens and made the sacrifice, and he, he can sympathize and has compassion upon us, let us come boldly, not sheepishly, not half-hearted, not like a sissy, not like full of shame and worried, and we can come to him because his yoke is easy and lowly. He is lowly. He can hook up to you even in the midst of any situation. But daily you start to mature, and your maturity is as I have a high priest who loves me, and now look at the scripture. Come how? How? To the throne of grace, empowerment. To the throne of the strength that you need that you would obtain favor from God and mercy and compassion, how often? In the time of need, when do you need him? When do you need him? Ten minutes ago? Last night? Ten minutes from now? At some point, y'all are going to get this. It's not a religious thing. I promise you I'm preaching for my own life right now. He's the vine, you're the branches. Just picture yourself as a tree. Everybody say this and say, Jesus is a tree. Say, I am a tree, and I'm going to bear fruit. You get, out, you get out of the vine, you'll lose heart. Bad choices, bad decisions. Keep the door shut. Let me give you a good example of what I'm talking about. Proverbs 13, I'm sorry, uh, um, Proverbs 25, 28. This ties in with good choices. Proverbs 25, 28. A man that has no self-control over his life might as well be living with all your windows wide open and your front door open because you're defenseless. And let me tell you something, I love you all, but I have an alarm system, I have six cameras, and I have a loaded gun. You don't want to break into my house in the middle of the night. I'm not playing games. I got a five and six-year-old, and I hap we happen to live in a city that has a high crime rate. Now, that's changing. But what I'm saying something in the natural so you understand in the spirit. If you don't get self-control and dis discipline over your life, what happens? Open the door wide open, baby, because an adversary's walking right in. You're defenseless and you're helpless. Can you just think for a second? I don't care if you live in a tent, a shack, a trailer, apartment, or a house. I don't care where you live. Go to bed and leave the doors and the windows wide open in the middle of the night. Actually, don't do it, but that's my point. I don't want you to do it, but I'm making a point. Another way to say it, because think of a city with broken down walls. A man without discipline is living a life where your do front door is constantly kicked in. God's 
kicked your door, the enemies kicked your door right in. No alarm, no cameras, no nothing. The, the walls come crumbling down. And let's just self-deprecate for a moment. Some of y'all have allowed your walls to come crumbling down and you've been a city that's been broken down. That was me prior to Jesus. That's what homes and families and marriages and personal lives look like without Jesus and being hooked to the vine. Because discipline is where we get the word disciple. In fact, I don't even like the word disciple as much as I do an apprentice. Because disciple always connotates master-student. Apprentice or a son or a daughter. Ah. Man, I'm preaching to myself today. I'll tell you what. So poor choices. You know what else? Let's, let's, let me also take it a step further of when you can feel like you want to lose hope or you, you lose heart. It's Proverbs 13, 12. This is especially for those of you that are single. Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but when it comes, it becomes a tree of life. You know, hope deferred with a sick heart is not the way God wants you to live. Did you know that? You might find comfort in the scripture, but the better comfort comes in finding the tree of life. Everybody say, Jesus is a tree. He says, I'm the vine. I mean, he said it himself. And then Psalm 1 says, blessed is the man who doesn't sit in this, or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of scornful. He shall be like a... Jeremiah 17 says, those who put their hope and trust in the Lord are like trees planted by the rivers whose leaves are always green no matter what, if it hadn't rained in six months or a year or 10 years. If there's a drought, I got a green leaf. When the economy goes south, the economy of the kingdom is alive. So hope deferred makes the heart sick. Let me, re let me say it the right way, the way that it should be now. Confident hope and expectation for what I believe wants to do makes my heart healthy and alive. Think of the opposite of this scripture. If you're living in deferred hope right now, do a ninja flip on that thing. Come on, singles. I know you're longing for that man or that woman in your arms and companionship and not being alone and the right guy or the right girl. They need to stay hooked to Jesus the vine, not any vine in your own life. They need to stay intimate with him, not so intimate with you, until the right time. Song of Solomon says that you're a sealed up garden. Don't awaken love before it's time. Because God's got you. And that's why your hopes, it may feel like my hopes continues to be being deferred. No, it's not. How much do you trust the Lord? Is he Lord or not? Is Jesus Lord or not? And if you're not careful, I'll pray what God did for me. I got married at 40, so you better just hang in there. It'll be all right. You're going to make it. And I'm going to tell you, I, honestly, I wouldn't have had it any other way. And I felt like my heart was sick for a long time, but I never understood this understanding that Jesus is my first love and I don't have to live with a sick heart. Who wants to live with a sick heart? None of us do. 
So what do I do? Instead of dwelling on who I wish I had or what I don't have, I'm dwelling on who I do have. His name's Jesus. It's called first love. I just want to do a happy dance right now. Come on, guys. You should get fired up. Woo! There's a tree of life now. You're saying, man, when I, when I get that guy or that girl, that big paying job, my situation changes, oh, it's going to be a tree of life. Jesus is a tree now. You're, gonna, you're not just going to barely make it, bro. You are, you are a son of God, and God loves you and cares about you. You're going to come out stronger. Whatever you're facing, man, you're in the right spot. I'm proud of you for being here. God's going to do what he said he'd do because he cares about you. Most of us have a war perception that God just wants to strike us and wipe us out. But you know what? People say, well, how do I reconcile God of the Old Testament, Exodus 33, I'm going to wipe you out, versus God of the New Testament that I'll never leave you or forsake you? Let me tell you how you reconcile that. God didn't change. He just changed the rules. You know why he changed the rules? Somebody died on a tree. Now the Prince of Peace has come. Now remission of sins has happened. Take it. Now forgiveness is there. Grab it. So hope deferred is another thing that can make our hearts grow weary. Bad decisions. And then I want to say this. If you're not continuously developing your spiritual life and staying hooked to the vine, you will find yourself grow weary. The Lord's Prayer says, give us this day our, our how often? Or how often? Daily means daily. Right? Matthew 11, 28 and 29. Jesus said, hey, I know you're wore out, you're weary, and you're exhausted, and you feel like it's, you're going to give up, or your life's not valuable, or you're at your end. But here's what I want you to do. Come unto me. Come unto me, all you who are weak, weary, and heavy laden. For my yoke is easy and my burdens light, and I will give you peace and rest for your soul. Jesus said that. Come to me when you're weak, weary, and heavy laden. Now, can you imagine this? Living a life where you're not weak, weary, and heavy laden because I already came to him and I'm staying with him. I'm with him. Adverse situation comes, I'm with him. Now, we stop living a life of being broke, busted, disgusted, weak, weary, and heavy laden. Now, if you get that way, guess who's beckoning you? Jesus is. Jesus is beckoning us. Galatians 6, 8 through 10, he who sows in his flesh will reap of the flesh, will reap of the flesh corruption, but he who sows the spirit will reap everlasting life. So you have a positive and a negative. We always hear, well, you reap what you sow, bro. But in the negative connotation, it goes like this. Every single thing we do is a sacrifice and a seed. A lot of times you don't see the harvest of it till years and years later. So I sowed years and years and years of a bad seed that grew a harvest of corruption. That's why I say this, con this, this thing, and I say it to you all the time. Let's say it together. Say things don't go wrong. They start wrong. 
So just self-deprecate and say, I started wrong. You know one of the best things about Jesus is? He fixes broken. He fixes start wrong. He gives reset. Jesus is like a big giant reset button. You can hit it any time. And he says, here I come to your rescue to reset and repair the broken breaches and the tore down walls and the cracks in your foundation. He fixes broken, doesn't he, Olivia? He fixes broken. And so the question is, what are you sowing to? Because reaping corruption may not necessarily cause you to lose your salvation, but you lose your rewards. Now, God's got lots of rewards for us. You're not living a life to measure up, and just because I, I, I lived right doesn't also connotate, connotate that I get a reward. It's not because of my righteousness and how good I've been that God's doing something. It's because he loves me and cares about me and he hates wickedness in this land. So he wants to use me, but he can't use me until I get in line and stay in step with his promises. That's the way it works. So if you're sowing to the flesh, you're going to reap corruption. That's the bad news. But when you sow to the Spirit, capital S, Holy Spirit, guess what you get to reap? Zoe, life now. Zoe is animated, vigorous, vibrant, fired up, consistent, life now, and it never ends. It's eternity now. It's to infinity and beyond. I love saying that. We just watched Toy Story 4, so. Next verse, verse 9. So here's what God says. The Apostle Paul said it, but the Lord said it through him. says, don't grow weary while doing good. For when? In due season. There's a right time. The word due season is a kairos moment. An appointed time for you. Everybody say this to me. Say, God has an appointed time for me. So don't grow weary in well-doing. In well-doing means being morally righteous. It means being honest and genuine. It means being fully submitted to the one who makes you good and being spiritual or, or causes you to do good. You see this do good? I want you to notice it doesn't say be good. It says do good because that comes from Jesus in you. And so if you don't grow weary, you will reap and you won't lose heart. Look at the next verse. And therefore, because of all of that that I just said, as we have opportunity, let us do good, there it is again, to everybody, but especially to those who are of the household of faith. And the last thing I'll tell you this morning is what the word household means. It says, it says do good to all, especially, though, to those who are of the household of faith. It's kind of like thinking about my yard. I mow my yard, but I especially take care of my landscaping. It's also like saying this, I will feed a homeless person. If I walk out, many times I say, hey, I call into my shop, bring out a breakfast sandwich, bring out a panini, or I ask them if they want a sandwich, or I'll go to the store and I'll buy them something. I'm doing good to them, right? But I'm not serving and submitted and committed to them like I am my own family, my own children, my own wife. I'm not, I love Lacey dearly, but I don't, I'm not married to her and I don't live with her. My wife right here is the one I give my all to. But from a spiritual standpoint, notice it says household of God. And you know what it means? 
It means that I love everybody, but I especially and particularly treat you like you're my blood family. And in fact, biblically, in many cases, my spiritual family is stronger than my blood family. Do you know that? And you say, well, how, pastor? Okay, well, let me go down the list. First, I forsook all and answered a call, which has not been easy. Second of all, we signed our name on a, on a dotted line for $2.8 million, and we're sitting in it right now. Third of all, I'm taking all the risks that I know to take and laying my life down so we can build something together. Now, I can't be there for everybody. My bandwidth is only so wide. So was Jesus's, I mean, on earth. Now, his bandwidth is so wide, he's in everybody that gives their life to him. But on earth, you only have a capacity for so much. So in turn, what happens is Jesus would raise up 12, 7,500 and say, you be my hands and feet. So now what I need from everybody here is all of you to get healthy and strong, become shepherds, pastors, mothers, fathers, apostles, prophets, teachers, and evangelists, and become the fivefold. Because the only way this church will thrive is if we have five. It takes five to stay alive. It takes five to thrive. And it also takes 12, 7,500, and 5,000. So the point I'm trying to make is I can't be your personal pet pastor. I get it. The best relationship that some of you will ever have with me is right here, right now. Now, I'm praying for you. I'm going to love you. I'm going to be there for you. But as this church grows, as we're all here, what has to happen is you guys, in a sense, become my hands and feet and start loving on the hurting and the broken and the lost and the dying that come in here. That's the way the kingdom works. That's why we have deacons, elders, overseers, bishops, and we have the fivefold ministry. Now, the point of why I was trying to make that is because God's house, the household of God, the family of God is to be treated in the kingdom. If you are a Christian, we're supposed to be treating each other not as opponents and adversaries and not as we would a homeless guy standing on a corner, but as people we intimately dwell with and get into relationship with and with one another. And it can't revolve around just me because it has to be decentralized like Jesus did. So now we all get strong and healthy. And it doesn't mean that I won't be there, I won't uh, be at things, or I won't call you or check upon you or be around. But what it means is now we're reproducing mamas and papas and sons and daughters. So now Brandon becomes a father in the house. And now Brandon learns the culture and the heartbeat. Now Jonathan actually and Francisco and Nicole, now they're so empowered or Morgan and Colton have become so, so many, Doug, so many of you, Aaron, that I know by first name, that I trust, Teresa and Dion, and I can go down the list of people that I know have my heartbeat, and anybody that comes along that needs help, you can be entrusted with to take care of in the household of God. I have a special affinity for you, is what that means. It doesn't mean I, don't, I love you more than, I lo than the homeless person. That's not what I'm saying. God loves everybody equally. But we have a special affinity and care and compassion and service to the household of God. There's the scripture. I just showed it to you. And so it goes in a three-part stage. You reap what you sow, reap to the Spirit. Don't grow weary in, reap, in sowing to the Spirit and doing good because guess what? A reward's coming. In the right time, God's got a reward for you. So because of those things, what I want you to do is do good to all people, but especially to God's house. You understand? No more division, no more opponents, no more opposition, no more divisiveness, but rather love from a pure heart. 
And I'll conclude it with this. I'll go back to Luke 18.1. Jesus told a parable so that men ought to always pray and not lose heart. It's sustaining prayer, and this is the beginning of an entire series we're going to do on intercession and prayer. My wife will actually be teaching sometime, hopefully in the next few weeks. A lot of things have been happening in our personal life. We're in major transition right now. I'd love to tell you about it, but I'm not going to tell you yet. We might talk about it tend and keep next Saturday. But what I know is no matter what goes on, no matter what happens around me, no matter what happens in the White House or Iran, no matter what happens down my street or my block or in the economy, men ought to always pray and not get moved by the circumstances of their life. Let's all stand.